We are starting a new series today on the book of Jonah. And as you take your Bible, you may want to find that in the Old Testament. It's like the fourth book from the back of the Old Testament. And we're going to put the words on the screen, but it's just so much better whenever you see God's word with your own eyes. Whenever we think about this book, I immediately think about the man who ran. And that's what we're talking about today in Jonah chapter 1. It was my first church. I was the pastor of Elam Baptist Church in Quitman, Georgia. I was only 19 years old or so. By the way, I have since gone back and apologized to them <laughs> for how little I knew about being a pastor. And uh, we were having a revival service where we invited someone in to preach a series of messages. And I wanted to invite our community. It was a very rural area, so uh, the homes were spread out among the farmland. One of my church members, Ralph Terman, came up with a grand idea. He said, show up at my house on Saturday morning before the revival begins on Sunday morning, and you and I are going to go and invite our neighbors to the revival. He said, I heard your heart for our community, and I'm going to help you. And I said, yes, sir. So I showed up at his house at the uh, prescribed hour in the morning, and I thought he and I would jump in his truck and we would go house to house. No, he had his two horses saddled up <laughs> and ready to go. And I was a reluctant preacher that morning. I was not used to riding horses. I wasn't really interested. And I thought, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. He said, Ricky, trust me. When people see two guys in front of their house on horses, they'll come to the door. And so we'll have a chance to talk to people. He said, here's what we'll do. One of us will go to the door while the other holds the two horses. And then we'll just swap off each house. And I said, Ralph, I don't know if this is a good idea. And he said, we're going to do it. So we did. And I learned the horse I was on uh, if he saw the barn, he would run right back to the barn as fast as he could go. We eventually got out of the little uh, yard of his and out of the barn and got going. We made visits for almost two hours. I was so sore. <laughs> I smelled like a horse. People did take notice and they thought we were crazy. But we came up to the last house, and I was never so happy that it was the last house that morning. And Ralph said, why don't you go to the door and give out the flyer and invite this person, whoever they are. So I went into the, the fenced-in yard, and I saw an old gentleman sitting on his front porch. And I asked if I could come up on his porch and give him a flyer, inviting him to our church service. He said, yes, you may. I'd never met him. He was in his probably 80s. And as I handed him the flyer, I told him who I was, told him about our church. And then I asked him the question, sir, do you mind if I ask you what does it take for a person to go to heaven? And he said, I don't know. And then I thought, oh, no, I've got to now tell him. <laughs> I was so tired, I was hoping he would just say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I could say, good, I'm out of here. <laughs> and so I said, well, if you don't mind, do you have a Bible? He said, I do. And he went into his little modest home, pulled out a big family Bible. I opened it up to the book of Romans, and I walked him through what we call the Romans road of salvation. And at the end of that, I said, sir, is there anything keeping you today from trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he says, no, sir. And he prayed right there to trust Jesus as his Lord and his Savior. His wife came running out of the house after our prayer, and she said, I have prayed for him all of our married life to come to Jesus, and finally my prayers have been answered. And I felt about this big because for two hours I had complained to God that I didn't want to be here, I don't want to do this, this is a waste of time, people think we're crazy, and I was a reluctant preacher. 
I wish I could tell you there have been other times that I was reluctant and I went through and I, I was obedient to God no matter what and people got saved. There are many other times I could tell you where I didn't do what God called me to do and telling others about him. And I sat there with my mouth closed and I didn't open my mouth and share the good news of Jesus and I lived to regret it. I don't know about you, but whenever I think about Jonah, if you know anything about this story, you know he's the man who ran. God sent him on a mission to tell other people warning them about the coming judgment of God, but also offering them the mercy of God that our choir sang about this morning. And yet he ran. And there's a little bit of Jonah in me. There's probably a little bit of Jonah in you as well. And that's why I felt led to bring this series of messages over the next four weeks as we just look at each chapter in the book of Jonah. Because I believe God wants us in this church to be on fire and on mission, taking the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And right here, beginning in Union County. Now, maybe you're new to church, and maybe you're new to the Bible, and maybe you've gone to Sunday school as a child, but that's about it. And all you really know about the book of Jonah is that it's a story of a, of a reluctant preacher, and it's the story of a great storm, and it's the story of a great fish. But can I tell you, if that's all you know about the book of Jonah, there's so much more that God wants you to discover. Because honestly, this book is not about a reluctant preacher or a storm or even a great fish. It's about our great God. He's the hero of this story. Not Jonah, not you, not me. And by the way, every book of the Bible, the hero is God himself in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This book reveals to us the great heart of our God, a heart full of mercy and compassion for those who are far from him, a God who longs to save all who will trust in him. And so whenever it's all said and done, when this book study is over, I pray that we know more about our great God than just a great storm and a great fish. Now, maybe you're also wondering, as we open up the study, is this real? Did this really happen? Was there really a person named Jonah? Was he really swallowed by a great fish? Or is this myth and legend? Friend, this is not fable. It's history. In fact, it's his story. It's God's story. It is a miracle of what God did in this book. And one of the reasons that I believe in the historicity of the person of Jonah and the, the authority of the book of Jonah is because none other than my Lord and my Savior believed in the story of Jonah. And as you've heard me say several times now, if Jesus can predict his own death, burial in a grave, and resurrection three days later and pull that off, I'm just going to trust anything he says to me. And whenever Jesus looked at the book of Jonah, he often used it as a warning to people who would not repent of their sin, but also as a sign of his own resurrection from the dead. And so I do come to this book today understanding the history and the reality of who this person is and what God wants to say to us today. So let's take our Bibles and we're going to talk about the man who ran here in Jonah chapter 1. And the first thought I have for you as we read, and you may want to just make note of this if you're taking notes in your bulletin day, fill in those blanks. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. So if you're filling in notes, do that, and then look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. We read these words from the English Standard Version. 
Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Let's just pause there. Here in this opening, we see in Hebrew, it begins in a strange way. The first word in the first sentence in Hebrew is the word that we would translate as and, or in the English Standard Version, or maybe in your translation, now. In other words, there was something going on prior to the book of Jonah. You see, Jonah was already a prophet of God, and the word of God came to him here again. This isn't the first time Jonah has heard the word of the Lord. This isn't the first time God has commissioned his prophet Jonah to go and preach a message. The only thing that's different is the, the audience to whom Jonah is to preach. Jonah, who is from a, a little town not far away from Nazareth, who's living around in the uh, 8th century before Jesus was born, is called by God to get up from Israel to go to Nineveh in Assyria and to preach in that great city and warn it and call it to repentance because God's judgment is about to come against it because of their evil. God says, I have seen their evil. And the Assyrians were a wicked and evil people. I wouldn't even try to describe some of their practices here in, in polite company this morning. Just know this, in warfare, they were one of the most cruel cultures to ever exist. They would skin their victims alive as a way of tormenting them. And they spared not men, women, or children and Assyria was a formidable foe against tiny Israel, the people of God. And God says to Jonah, I want you to go and preach to Nineveh, one of the four great cities in Assyria, and I want you to warn them that judgment is coming. No wonder Jonah is a reluctant preacher. He's probably going, it's about time for them to get what's coming to them. I want them to be punished. I want them to be judged. It would be like God saying to one of you, I want you to get up from this church. I want you to get on a flight to Russia. I want you to go to speak to Putin, and I want you to warn him my judgment is coming, but he could also be forgiven of his sin if he would simply turn from his sin and believe in Jesus Christ. And maybe you would say, after what he's done to his political opponents and what he has done to the people of Ukraine, he gets whatever's coming to him. Maybe you could understand the next verse, Jonah chapter one, verse three. But Jonah, <laughs> but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. If you're looking at a map, you'll discover that Jonah goes in the exact opposite direction from which God tells him to go. God says, I want you to leave and go up to Nineveh. Jonah says, I don't think so. God says, I want you to go to what we would call modern day Iraq, Baghdad. Jonah says, I've never been to Spain. And off to Spain he goes. 
He goes to the farthest edge of the known world of his day, trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. He's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. Now, Jonah has a good theology. He knows that no matter where you go, there God is, but he's running from God. He's saying, God, I resign my call as your prophet. You can get someone else. I will not go. And he did not understand the lesson of today. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. What's your Nineveh? What's God calling you to do? Where's God sending you? Where's God saying, I've got something I want you to do? Is he calling you to a ministry? Is he calling you to a service? Is he calling you to a community in involvement and project and service to make our community better? Is he telling you, I want you to go and tell your family member about me? Is he saying, I want you to go and invite your friend to church? Is he saying, it's time for you to share the gospel with someone who's lost? What's your Nineveh? And are you trying to run from God this morning? Are you running from him? I know that I tried to run as a teenager when I first felt God calling me into ministry. I am the kid who took an F in high school because I would not stand up and give an oral book report. I was so nervous and intimidated about standing up in front of people. I took an F because I refused. And then God wants to call me into ministry. I said, God, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> Whenever my grandfather, my mom's dad, passed away before Christmas, on Christmas Eve, and we had his funeral the day after, I remember coming home overwhelmed with the grief that I saw in my mom's eyes and in my family's eyes, and I remember saying to them, I will never go to another funeral. Don't you ever ask me to go to another funeral. Even if you die, I will not go to your funeral. And now that I'm a minister, I've conducted over 800 funerals in my ministry. I didn't want to surrender my life to God. And I tried to run, but I couldn't find any satisfaction anywhere. The farther I ran and the harder I ran, the more I would run into God and his call for my life. And that is the same for you today. If you're living in disobedience to God's will for your life, then you're running from God like Jonah, and you need to understand you can run, but you can't outrun God. He's got a plan for your life. He's got a grander purpose for you than you could ever imagine. Don't settle for your plans when God has something greater for you to be involved in. And God's got a big plan for Jonah. God wants Jonah to be a part of a revival that transforms a city with the power and mercy of God. And Jonah's about to sell himself short in seeing God work up close and personal by running from God. And the reason Jonah runs is because he has a heart problem. He's got heart trouble. He's got a hardening of the arteries, not of his physical heart, but his spiritual heart. You see, if Jonah really loved God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, like the word of God commands, then he would have loved his neighbor like himself, even a neighbor like the Ninevites. And he would have been willing to go and tell them the good news of Jesus, lest they die and go to hell. But he didn't share God's heart and he didn't have a heart filled with compassion for the lost, and he runs from God. 
And I wonder who is it on our list that we would run from God if he says, I want you to go and love those people and share the gospel with those people. Yes, warn them about the judgment of God that's gonna come against sin, but also offer them mercy. We're really good at the first part, aren't we, as Christians? We wanna preach our sermons of judgment and condemnation at the people that don't vote like we vote or that don't live like we live or that don't look like we look. But where's the heart of compassion that cries over people who are lost and far from God and pleads for their souls to be saved? Maybe we have a heart problem like Jonah and we're running, but you, you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. There's a second lesson Jonah's gonna have to learn that we need to learn and that is this, if you're filling in the blanks, don't expect smooth sailing when you're living in rebellion. Don't expect smooth sailing when you're living in sin. Verse four, <laughs> I love verse three says, but Jonah, verse four says, but God. <laughs> but the Lord hurled, don't you get that picture? Hurled, <laughs> it's the picture of God leaning over the parapets of heaven seeing his wayward, reluctant prophet running from him. And, God's, and Jonah says, but I'm not going. And God says, but you are. <laughs> but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. This is how bad this storm is, that it is about to rip the ship apart. Jonah is suffering the consequences of his rebellion against God. He expected smooth sailing, but he didn't get it. He gets anything but. And God is the one who sends this storm into Jonah's life. Now, I am not saying, and the Bible does not teach, that every problem you have in your life is a direct result of your sin. You must have done something wrong. Your car didn't start this morning, you sinner. It could just be that it's made, well, I'm not gonna call any, I was about to call a, a manufacturer. I'll offend half the church if I say, so, so we, we drive imperfect vehicles. How about that? No matter, so it could be nothing you've done wrong. It could just be you got a lemon or you are sick. It must be because you were a sinner in college or you're blind or have some other infirmity must be because you're evil and God's punishing you. You remember in Jesus' day, the disciples saw a man who was born blind and they asked Jesus who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus, what are you talking about? Neither him nor his parents. This is for the glory of God and Jesus worked a miracle in his life. So, so I'm not saying that every storm that comes in your life is a direct result of your rebellion against God because let's just be honest, if that were the case, we would be wearing raincoats and walking around with umbrellas every day. We're all sinners. But in this case, it is a direct consequence of his rebellion. And there are times you and I know good and well that the pain we're experiencing is because we have not followed God's will for our lives. Jonah faces the consequences almost immediately. We don't know if this is hours into this voyage or, or a few days into the voyage before the storm comes. For us, it could be months or years before we suffer the consequences like Jonah, but it's just a matter of when, not if, because you can't expect smooth sailing if you're living in rebellion against God. 
God wanted Jonah to know what we sing sometimes in that hymn, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. But like Jonah, I am prone to wonder. I am prone to leave the God I love. And then I suffer the consequences. This is so bad, even these seasoned sailors are afraid. Look at verse five. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. No, they're, they're pagans, so they're crying out to their God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Do you hear this recurring phrase? Down, 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 down. Jonah, Jonah went down to Joppa, went down into a ship and went down into the hull of that ship and went down to sleep. Verse six, so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Kind of like church Sunday morning. Arise, <laughs> call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. These pagan sailors say, hey man, why are you sleeping? We're about to die. We're having a prayer meeting up on deck. Why don't you join us? Why don't you add your God to the list of our gods and let's hope that your God will answer our prayers so that we will not die here. Verse seven, and they said to one another, come let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the, the lot, the number fell on Jonah. Everybody's obeying God except Jonah. The storm obeys God. The sailors obey God. The lots obey God. Jonah is not obeying God. But look at verse eight. Then they said to him, tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Verse nine, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah is totally contradicting his own confession of faith. I'm a Hebrew. And I fear, I reverence, I respect the Lord who is the God of heaven, who is creator of everything, including the sea and the dry land. Then why are you on this ship running from your God if that's what you feel? And isn't it true in all of our lives, there's a little bit of Jonah in us, that we can sing these great songs of our faith and we can preach these great sermons of our faith and we can say amen to these great messages of our faith and then we'll ride out the door and disobey God. And our very lives are contradicting our testimony of faith. And here, this Jonah who's running from the Lord because he doesn't want to preach to pagan Ninevites has been given a platform to preach to pagan sailors. Verse 10 then the men were exceedingly afraid. <laughs> now they're really afraid. They're not just afraid of the storm. Now they know why they should be afraid of the God of Jonah. And they said to him, what is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Verse 12, he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. 
You say, oh, how brave of Jonah. No, 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 no. This is not bravery. This is actually cowardice. This is hard-heartedness. Jonah would rather die than repent before God. He could repent and the storm would stop. But he says, just throw me overboard. But then these pagan sailors are better people in this moment than Jonah is. Look at verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. They didn't want to throw him overboard. They cared more about his life than he cared about theirs. And Jonah's still in the middle of this storm. Verse 14, therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Jonah, who was unwilling to go and preach to pagan Ninevites has just led a whole shipload of sailors to the Lord. And as soon as they throw him overboard, the storm ends. It reminds me of when I was able to go many years ago to Naval Station Mayport, which is seven miles from my church in Jacksonville. One of the Navy pilots who was a member of our church said, Pastor, I want you to come. I'm gonna put you in a flight simulator of the helicopter that I fly every day. It's based on the Apache and I wanna show you how to fly this helicopter. Yeah, right. So we get in this flight simulator. I'm all suited up. I'm ready to go. I cannot fly straight. I can't even lift off the ground to save my life. I have never in my life felt so uncoordinated between what you have to do with your feet and those controls, what you have to do with the, the uh, hand controls and the thumb controls and all the information coming at you. And after about 30 minutes of that, I was exhausted I was just absolutely emotionally and physically drained. And I said, man, I appreciate it. This has been fun. I think I'm done. He says, you're not done yet. I said, what do you mean I'm not done? He said, there's one more flight simulator we're going to put you in. You got to land this helicopter in the middle of the night on a storm-tossed ocean on the back of an aircraft carrier. Good luck with that, Pastor. After we finished my multiple failed attempts, he said, to Pastor, what have you learned? I said, I have learned if the United States Navy needs anyone to crash their helicopters, I'm your man. <laughs> so, man, I got a new appreciation for you. And the simulation ended, and then he pulled me aside, and he and some of those pilots talked to me about their training and what they do and showed me uh, the aircraft. It was amazing. And Jonah's in the middle of a simulation. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. And don't you expect smooth sailing when you are living in rebellion. And now, as he's trying to run from the Lord, God has one more test for him. Verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Here's where the fish comes in. The fish is not the hero of the story. The fish is because Jonah has been going in the wrong direction. He needed an Uber back into the right direction. And God himself creates this fish to swallow him up and to safely bring him to where he needs to be. And he is in the gastric juices of this great fish for three days and three nights. And what has Jonah learned? He's learned, I can run from God, but I can't outrun God. And I can't expect smooth sailing when I'm living in rebellion. 
And here's a lesson he needs to learn. If you're taking notes, fill in this blank. This is really the bottom line today. We're out of time, but if you haven't heard anything else I've said to you, please don't miss this. God disciplines you not to pay you back, but to bring you back. God did not discipline Jonah through that storm and through that great fish to pay him back, but to bring him back. And children of God, we often suffer the discipline of our loving Heavenly Father when we have done wrong, not because he's on our case, but because he is on our side, and he wants what's best for us, and he wants what's best for this world when his people are living in unity with him and his mission in the world. God doesn't discipline you because he hates you. He disciplines you because he loves you. Every time I read about Jonah, I instinctively think about Hebrews chapter 12, verses five through 11, written to Hebrew Christians in the first century who were suffering and struggling, sometimes out of no fault of their own. They just lived in a wicked world that hated God's people. But sometimes they were suffering because they were living in sin and God wanted to help mature them and bring them back. The writer of Hebrews chapter 12 verse five writes, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Quote, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. If you ever want to find an understatement in your Bible, it's in Hebrews 12, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. You're going, that's, that's pretty obvious. Yeah. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later... It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's what God does when he allows us to be chastened. It's an expression of his love. It is to teach us a lesson that we must trust him and obey him and share in his holiness because God disciplines you not to pay you back. Jesus took your punishment on the cross. God disciplines you to bring you back. He wants you to be in unison with his heart, loving him and loving your neighbor and living on mission in this world. So what do we do with this today? Well, maybe you, if you're filling in the blanks, I've given you four application points. Maybe you need to repent of any disobedience in your life. Maybe you're living in rebellion to God right now and everything seems fine, but learn from Jonah you can't outrun God and don't expect smooth sailing forever. So the best thing you can do is learn from Jonah and go ahead and repent and turn around and come back to God in whatever area of your life that you need to repent. This whole message of this book of Jonah is about the heart of mercy God has for all people. 
for his own people when they go astray and for lost people who don't even know him. He is filled with a heart of compassion, wanting to seek and to save those who are lost if they will only turn from him. So maybe you need to identify one person in your life who is far from God that God wants to use you to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Write their name down. Start praying for them. God, would you help me to be used by you to reach this person with your love and with your mercy through Jesus? Repent, identify. Number three, pray for opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus. Start praying, and I promise you God will answer that prayer. Even the apostle Paul asked people to pray for him. Ephesians chapter six, verses 19 and 20. Paul says, pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make it known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Maybe you ought to pray for yourself. Maybe you ought to ask other people, would you pray for me? I want to be bold in my faith. I want to be bold in my testimony for Jesus. And then number four, invite someone to attend church with you. Because I promise you this, if they come here, they're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. In song and in scripture. And God could use this church to bring revival to this city as more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. There's a lot more I wish I could say, but you didn't listen fast enough. And uh, so I'm, I'm out of time. But we've heard enough, haven't we, to know what we need to do in this moment. So let's pray together and let's let God have his will in his way. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, Father, would you take this time of decision where we now respond to what you have spoken to us about in the book of Jonah. That if we haven't heard anything else, let us know that you discipline us, not to pay us back, but to bring us back. And God, for some of us, we need to repent of sin in our life and we need to turn back to you and turn back to your way in our lives. Thank you for being merciful and compassionate to want us back and to let us come back if we'll confess our sin to you and come home. God, I pray that right now in the stillness of this moment, there will be men and women and husbands and wives and boys and girls and grandparents today and single adults today who will say, I know Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, but I haven't been living for him in some area of my life. I've been living in disobedience to his will for my life, and I'm coming back to the heart of God today. Father, thank you for this opportunity to come back. And God, there could be somebody here listening to me or someone watching online who realizes that right now, if they were to die, they would spend eternity separated from you under your judgment, not because you hate them, but in spite of the fact that you love them, you sent Jesus to die for them, who rose from the dead, but they would not trust in him as their personal Lord and Savior. God, I pray that right now, in this moment, they would turn from their sin and turn to Jesus. Let him be their Lord and their Savior. Heavenly Father, have your will and way in this moment as we believe in Christ, who rose from the dead, having paid for the penalty of our sin. May we put our trust in him and him alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.